cliffcentral.com. All right. It is a Thursday morning. It is just after 7 o'clock, cliffcentral.com, and that means it's time for the burning platform. Now, I know Ivo has got a couple of problems. Ivo Fechter is going to join us again uh, this morning. For the first time in a long time, Ivo, you've got some uh, internet problems. Load shedding is obviously hitting you as hard as it's hitting all of us. But um, if if it works with the video, that would be great. If if not, if your video goes off halfway through, we'll all understand. Look at you with your gas lamp. Hold that up again, Ivo. Show us again. That's not a gas lamp. What is that we got there? A paraffin. Paraffin. That's amazing. He's got a paraffin Good lamp. Old fashioned. You know what, Ivo? This is why we like having you. This is why we like having you on the show. Is you 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 come prepared even in load shedding. You've got a paraffin lamp to to show us that you're you're there, you're real, and you're in the light. Very nice. Absolutely, nothing's going to stop me. So, Ivo, it's been uh, a long. But I did. I did. Again. Sorry, say that again. I did just have a disconnection, so um, that might happen again. So just uh, be aware. Yeah, we will we will be understanding if that takes place again. All right, so Ivo, it's been a long time since we've had you on the show. We had numerous people asking for your return, so I'm glad to see you back on the burning platform. We can get straight into it, but I want to actually start off with something. Uh, I don't think this is fun, but it's something that I've been thinking about for a little while, and we haven't had a competition on the uh, burning platform for a long time. So, Pumi, we're going to decide this morning which is the worst governed province in South Africa. So before, we're not going to go there straight away, but what we'll do is we'll, we'll ponder this and we'll also take lots of comments from everybody in the comments section because they're very busy this morning. But by 8 o'clock, by 8 o'clock, we will, have, we will have solved for which is the most poorly governed, backward, uh, stupid and useless province in South Africa. And that's all because of the government that runs it. Let's not blame it on the people of those provinces because sometimes it's not their fault at all. So we'll get to that later on in the show. I'm just saying now so that people can get their ideas together, they can get their votes in. By the end of the show this morning, we will have unilaterally declared the worst governed province in South Africa. And Ivo is here to help us do that today. All right, so Ivo, because we haven't had you on for ages, why don't we start off with, with you um, and, and there's so much to talk about this week. There really is. We can go international a little bit later on, but let's start locally. Obviously, there's disaster in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, Jacob Zuma trying to skip his, uh, his appearance in court at the beginning of the week. There's so much other stuff to talk about. Where do you want to start? Um, I don't know. Let's start with Zuma. Okay. Um, <laughs> Are you going to the birthday party? Have you been invited? A birthday party? I haven't Oh, I haven't been invited. There is a birthday party, and he's going to stop being sick for uh, several hours, um, you know, on his sacred birthday, so that he can have a party and eat cake and drink beer and whatever, you, you know. And, he doesn't and then he's going to. Yeah, he doesn't drink. He doesn't drink. Mm-hmm. Okay, doesn't I don't know drink what he does. But, but he's definitely going to be partying. Um, and then he's going to go back to hospital because otherwise the, the sheriff of the court is probably going to drag him off uh, to court. In fact, last night, um, the wonderful Jimmy Manye tweeting on behalf of the Jacob Zuma Foundation, Jacob G. Zuma Foundation, tweeted a thing that says the doctors have very graciously allowed the president to come home to celebrate his 80th. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, of course they have. 
Oh, those you know what, it's been two days. I can't even say I wanted to say it with a straight face. I really did. I can't even say it with a straight face. It's ridiculous. We're living in a simulation. It's how many times to Pumi? How many times have you gone to the doctor and you've had to get a sick note, you know, for work? Right? How long does that process take? Right? You pop into the doctor, the doctor examines you, it's ten minutes. And then he writes you a little thing that says, oh, no, 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 you have a serious case of bronchitis or whatever it is. Um, could you please could, could you please excuse Pumi for a few days while she gets better? And then you take that to your employer or you send it, you email it, whatever, and then things are sorted. Now, it's been two days. Can Zuma not organize a doctor's note in two days? I mean, he has access to the best doctors in the country. Um, but it's, it's, it's got nonsense. an undisclosed illness. I think he's got an undisclosed illness, which is why he's on medical parole. So what, what is what is the problem here? He's got an yeah, exactly. undisclosed illness. He's on medical parole. He's essentially, for all we know, the man is, you know, knocking on death's door. And Ivo... I mean, you you yeah. don't sound you don't sound very sympathetic. You know, if you were why are you not sympathetic if, to this old ailing old man? If you were 80, eighty years if old, if you were eighty years old and you were in in an ailing physical state, I mean, we would all be deeply sympathetic and empathetic. We would be we would be sending over cookies to your house and that kind of thing. It's not very nice of you to assume that he's making this up, Ivo. I mean, really, just because you've been for fifteen years or so. <laughs> It, I think, in fact, I, I almost want to say it's probably been like closer to 20 years that the man has been baying, baying for his day in court. Just because he's been like asking for his day in court for so long doesn't mean that he must be treated this unfairly when he's sick. Come on. Yes, exactly. Undoubtedly. Uh, Look, uh, you know, he's got the same illness that Chevy Shea has. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's an allergy to appearing in court. Um, and I do, I feel sorry for the man. You know, it's, it's terrible having that condition. Um, but, uh, I have it myself, actually. I really don't want to appear in court. I'd far rather appear in front of the Parliamentary Ethics Committee, actually. Well, um, let's... That let's... seems like a very good place to go and explain yourself. Yeah, let's just, um, Ivo. I don't know if, if it's your if it's your video or if it's just your connection generally. Would you do me a favour and just you could switch just off your turn off the video yeah you could switch off your video and then we could probably hear you a bit better just in case. So I want to ask right, you, so uh, yeah, there we go. I want to ask you both about this the situation with Zrelim Kiza. He's been absolved of any responsibility in the Digital Vibes matter by the Parliamentary Ethics Committee. Now, I know that parliamentary and ethics in one sentence makes most people bristle, but let's just put aside our misgivings about that in a second, because as Pumi mentioned earlier this morning, and we got into it before we were meant to get into it, because obviously, you know, we, we know a little bit more than the Parliamentary Ethics Committee know. Uh, the Special Investigations Unit has decided to name as... Uh, co-respondents in the case, both Zuelim Kiza's wife and the son, who we've already heard about. Um, but Parliament only considers a close relationship, a close family relationship, to be a wife or husband. Apparently your children can benefit from whatever kind of uh, connections they have, and they are not considered close family if, if they're adult and married. So only if they're a dependent child, in other words, under the age of 18, and uh, th if you give them a tender at age 16, obviously, you know, everybody knows that's bullshit. But anything over 18 and if they're married, they're no longer close family. So what do we make of this? 
Yeah, no, it's all you can't benefit the business that you pay your offerings. That's that's the rule. Um, you know, so it's, it's and I, I checked the bottom of this code, and it does it does in fact say that the immediate family is only a spousal permanent partner, um, and it's dependent children. Right? Yeah. So all your extended family can benefit. Your your adult children can benefit. Um, you know, you can hand out tenders to all of your family, um, and that's absolutely fine by the parliamentary ethics committee. And then they say, or they also say business partners. So then the question becomes: Do those people at Digital Vibes are, are they considered business partners of William Keys? Eh? And mm. I'm fairly sure that he's arranged it so that he can say no, they're not. Um, you know, they're just sort of associates, not business partners. So I. Once, very not once, but very long ago, when we used to do some work for uh, government departments, and it's the same for all government departments, that you have to sign a declaration form. One of the things that they ask, they, they ask you probably like six questions in the declaration form. And they ask you family members, close friends, and there's a third one. That which was funny, right? So it doesn't distinguish when it says family members. It doesn't distinguish if you know this is a close family me member. It doesn't say only the nuclear family. It says family members and close friends who work for the department or who work for the office that you're tendering for or any of those things. Right. Right. Oh no! It also asks about a spouse. So the spouse is different. From family members. Oh. So it asks you about a spouse, it asks you about family members, and it asks you about close friends. And that's the declaration form that you have to sign that says you don't have any one of those three related to the department or the office or whatever, you know, government institution or state owned enterprise you're trying to do business with. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, ethics committee, really? And Gareth, I just sent you a, a picture yes. of on your WhatsApp. Okay. <laughs> of the of the sheep that got the Danny's sheep oh, that yeah. got the Louis or John's calf. That's just right. Like I remember that. That's also so. So, what do you what do you think of this? I mean, is Digital Vibes is, is he now safe? Zerlim Kizik, can he return to being a minister and an important member of the ANC? Ivo, what do you think? Hmm. No, he, he can't. Um, the, just because the Parliamentary Ethics Committee cleared him on a very narrow interpretation of a very narrowly written ethics code uh, doesn't mean that he's in the clear. The SIU is still going to go after him. Um, you know, he, he needs to be prosecuted. Um, it, it, well, he needs, it, it needs to be determined whether he acted illegally. And right. I think that he is on far weaker ground there. Um, you know, considering everything we know about how his, his wife and his, his son... And, and his various partners and so on benefited from um, uh, from from the digital vice tender. You know, and even that small amount that was paid, the six thousand rand or something that was paid uh, for, for for maintenance at his own house. Um, I think security that, upgrade. Uh, I think it was. I think that the NPA is going to take a, a different view of it yeah. than the parliamentary ethics committee did. We hope. which just said, well, you know, it was somewhat named Mkise that actually de dealt with the contractors. So Zueli Mkise is not uh, is not responsible. 
I, th- I think the NPA might take a different view of that. Well, I, I'm not Look, just going to put this picture that, uh, that Pumi sent me up here so you can see what she's talking about. Uh, remember how your COVID money was used to buy Dadani's lamb, a Louis Vuitton scarf? That's from Nomsam Dluli on Twitter. And there's a picture of, the, of, of this of a sheep essentially wearing a Louis Vuitton scarf. And that actually happened. That actually happened, right? So there we go. You know, and because it's Passover, a, a friend of mine in a WhatsApp group uh, reminded, that, reminded us of um, Pontius Pilate washing his hands when he, you know when he put in front of the people mm-hmm. that on the one side was Jesus. Uh, do you want to save Jesus, who is right. supposedly <clears throat> king of kings, or do you want to save the thief on Barabbas. the other side? Right. Right. And the people chose the thief. And evidently, here we are, 2,000 years later, the people are still choosing the thieves. Yeah, it's very difficult to figure out what to make of all of this. It's really, it's extremely messy and, and, and very embarrassing, actually. I mean, Zrelim Kize was held up. Um, Ivo, I don't know why, but you're, you seem to be on mute here. And uh, I'm going to actually give you a chance to just reconnect because it's not working terribly well. Let me just see if we can get Ivo to come back in. Uh, a little more fresh with his connection. But, you know, it's funny. Like, this whole thing with Zrelim Kizeh is he was the guy who was going to get us through COVID, remember? He was he, – we, people were regaling us with stories about how f- efficient and terrific this health minister was. And thank God we had Zrelim Kizeh in there. And he was part of the, 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 the committee of, of ministers who were busy making rules for lockdown. And he was talking to all the doctors and the various hospitals. And in the end, he was just another – crook on the take of all this COVID money. Y'all may not remember this, but you always think I'm just a pessimist when it comes to these things, but I remember telling you guys that I don't know why we would think that Zuelim Kize is not corrupt. Remembering that, you know, if well, well, firstly, the people in KZN never thought that Zuelim Kize was was going to be any kind of answer because they've had a, a very different experience of Zulim Kiza. This is the first time that we had him at the national level where we, everybody got to experience him. Right. But this is also the person who was the treasurer general of the ANC that got the ANC to the place yep. that they were. Like, what? What, guys? And this is also the person that Paul Mashadile, who's the current treasurer general, keeps hiding behind. Oh, we've got a <laughs> How much do we owe SARS? Yeah. I've just got, I just got into this position. I, we're trying to fix this mess. What? Yep. We haven't pay, been paying people's PAYE over to SARS? Oh, no. I just got yep. into this position. The person who was there before Paul Mashatile is Zuelim Kize. That's exactly right. Ivo, you're back. <laughs> um, I think we've reconnected with you. Carry on. Yes, I think so. Okay. You know, it's, it's, it's all over the place. It's a very, it's a very weird thing, you know, with with Etiquini's mayor and and the mayor of Pantu, who's a convicted child rapist, and Ed uh, McKenzie now in the Ed who's a convicted bank robber, um, and long-standing gangster. People seem to be electing criminals. Um, the thieves. And, and and this is a white, you know, and and thieves, and it's and it's both. Uh, in general, sort of elections, in broad elections, and it's within um, within the ANC. Right. Now, I'm starting to get the idea that the ANC, at branch level, is rebelling against this whole step aside rule. 
you know, they're saying, well, you know, they said, well, you can't do this. You can't exclude us from the, from the trough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is not what the branches are for. And they're almost pointing all these tainted people that are, that are up on charges that, you know, one is facing murder, murder charges. Um, electing them yeah no that they can't that they can't do this they can't exclude them because this is this is not democratic or something it's um, it's a very worrying event that the party has become so Ivo Ivo what's fascinating about that is that it is supposedly the branches of the ANC who in Nasrek voted for the step aside rule to be part of, you, you know what I'm saying? So for them to now, all these years later, be rebelling against a resolution that they all co-signed in no, 2017 uh... is, is, is quite a fascinating thing to watch as well. You know, is it, are they no. rebelling against the resolutions of 2017 or is it Cyril that they are rebelling against? Uh, you know, it just seems that Cyril doesn't have a grip on the party um, at all. And this this bodes very ill for the upcoming party conference. Absolutely. Um, you know that that if Cyril can't enforce the step aside rule, then uh, what can he enforce? What sort of reform? I mean, he keeps promising reform, and and we see very little of it. Um, but this is maybe why he doesn't really have control of the party. Um, so right, where so the ANC goes. I think it's it's headed down the drain, frankly. Okay, we, 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 we're not going to go back onto the uh, is the ANC falling apart thing because I think everybody is kind of on that page now. But but who who are the – whenever there's a rebellion or a faction fight within an organization, you have to look for the figurehead for each side. And we know that Cyril is now the guy who these people are supposedly rebelling against. Who is his counterpart? Who are they going to rally around? Is it going to be the man whose birthday we're celebrating in KZN this week? Because – He's an old and perhaps some say spent force. Do you agree that, that he, he might not be that person and that there's someone else? Could it be someone like our deputy president? Any guesses? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it won't be. I don't think it'll be Jacob Zuma. He is too old. Um, you know, he, he, might be a, he might be a sort of spiritual figurehead and might be trotted out at, at, the, at the old event. Um, his his former wife, um, of course, Susanna Lamini Zuma. Uh, she might be one. She ran against Cyril, right, um, and had a lot of support. So she might be the, the core of a of, of an anti-Cyril faction. Um, Mabuza himself has that lot. Who me? She is just as old. I think one of the things that we kind of don't see because we 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 don't see her often. Right, is and I think it is easy for her to be the bulky man, right? Because they share a last name, but she is also just as old. And I've heard mutterings of of kind of old age and senility beginning to creep in there. Oh, really? So I don't think she's that figurehead either, right? I don't think she's that figurehead either. I think what what we have on the other side of Cyril is we have a rebellion that is multi-pronged and I keep saying to you guys it's the thieves because it's not one person it's not a single person it's not an Ace Mahashule or a Lindy Wesisulu 
<laughs> it is it's a group of people and they're going to try their luck in every way that they can you know when we look at what's happened in Mpumalanga, for instance which is uh Didi's stronghold the people who have now won Gareth, you talk about a person, uh, Ivo, you talk about a person who is now the provincial chairperson mm-hmm. with three murder charges hanging over his head. That person is on the counter side of a Didi Mabuza. So we can see that he's, he's lost his grip in Bumalama, in the ANC. He's not, you know, the people who have now ascended are not him. If you look at the next provincial, um, well, district so far, they haven't had their provincial <clears throat> elections just yet is you see um Zandile Kumete and her entire slate making it into the the most powerful right. district in KZN. And KZN as a block is one of the biggest uh, blocks in the ANC. Mm-hmm. And Zandile Kumete, as we all know, is also on the other side of Cyril. But we don't know who she's aligned to in the in the bigger national scheme, what her slate looks like in the bigger national scheme. I don't think that it's going to be an Ace Mahashule bad slate. But what we do know is between Zandile Komete, Ace Mahashule, and, oh God, I've forgotten his name, the new provincial head in Bumalama, is all three of them are corrupt. Mm -hmm. All three of them have got, they've got charges against them, they're trying to throw things out of court, all three of them, whether they are together in the boat or separate, what we know for sure is all three of them are bad news. Yeah. I don't think we're going to get better coming out of the Eastern Cape. I think you're, I, I think you're right. Um, and I think you're right. And I think that my Ivo, uh, I'm going to ask you to just try and reconnect again. It's uh, it seems that it, it it starts off well and then it gets really bad. So I'm going to ask you to just come back in. <clears throat> it's a terrible connection. He's obviously going through load shedding, which I am too at the moment. You might hear a hum in the background as my UPS continues to keep us on the air from my house. But we um, we are connecting to Ivo Fechter, and the reason he's not on the camera is because we're trying to figure out how to get his sound a little bit better. Um, he's working basically off his cell phone which so, must, so many of us have, have been doing in the last while since uh, we've started a new bout of load shedding. And we'll try to connect with him now and, and get his thoughts on exactly this. I think it's a good point you make about Nkwasa Zanat Lamini Zuma, um, Pumi. She is old and, you know, she, she kind of, she was the person who they trotted out to do the lockdown stuff. And she received huge amounts of hatred and, and, and misery from people who were blaming her personally for all of that, where she was actually just the mouthpiece in this respect. <laughs> but she is, an old, she is an old lady now, and I don't think she wants any more of this. I think she's done. She's also she's 73 old. years old. She's yeah. 73 years old. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we must ask ourselves as South Africans and as the, the voting public yeah. in this time is, you know, I, I think that the opposition parties are squandering a great crisis, a great crisis within the, the kind of ruling yep. party, because this is this is the opportunity where they have to get in the gap, right? Because right. clearly, clearly people are all over the place. People are angry. People are disappointed. People are looking for alternatives. And we hear nary a peep 
from the opposition parties. Mm -hmm. This is the moment where you, you kind of you have to take you, you have to take the initiative. The you have to take the you have to take the opening. Right. You have to take the opening when you are the opposition because you, you have an opportunity here to give a solution to people. You have an opportunity to lead the people. You have an opportunity to to become the solution and the problem solver. You don't have to be in office in right. order to do that. But by doing that, you demonstrate to people that if you were given the opportunity to be in office, you could do so much better. I'm going to bring you Ivo. So? I'm going to bring Ivo back in. Ivo, we may have we may have moved on from your point, but I'd like you to just uh, restate what you were going to say earlier, and then also perhaps bring in your thoughts on on the opposition parties that Pumi's just mentioned, because they aren't taking the initiative, and there's a huge gap for them to exploit here, right? You know, I think Pumi was right when she said that it's a group of people on, on, in opposition to Cyril, and they, they don't really care that Cyril's president because. Cyril is quite toothless, you know, mm. as long as he can't stop polluting, um, <coughs> it doesn't matter to them who the actual president is. Um, and in fact, having a compliant president that, you know, that, that simply doesn't have the power suits them perfectly well. Um, and I entirely agree with the opposition point. Um, I've been saying that for years, you know, I mean, when, when Zuma was in charge and, and, you know, all these corruption allegations were coming and then the Gupta thing was at, at its height, um, I was thinking, where is the opposition? Why aren't they? Why aren't they out there with long knives, saying, "Right, this is our turn now. We need to, we need to bring down the government, you know, and 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 start some sort of color revolution or something." Yeah. Um, NC out of power. They are. They have some moves. I mean, the 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 coalition work that the that the DA and smaller parties have been doing has been very good. Um, and I think that might stand them in very good stead in, in 2024. Um, if they can knock together a, a, a coalition that could take over the reins of the ANC, that would be a very, very good, um, uh, that would be progress, let's put it that way. So I don't think coalitions work. What they need to be doing is they need to get ready. The, you, you know, the EFF, shame. I feel so sorry for them. But one of the things that they're always saying is that they are government in waiting. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that the opposition parties should be looking to a coalition as a solution. They should each be strengthening themselves to be the next. And, and for as long as, you, you know, one of the things that, that I kind of feel is they are all content to be the opposition. They are content to be in a coalition, in opposition to, and we're going to stop the ANC and, but this is not the time to do that. If I, if I think about it in terms of communication and marketing, this is when, if you are the underdog, if you are a challenger brand, mm -hmm. this is the moment where you stay, you, you go for broke and kind of, and, and let the people see what your product delivers and what your product offers them. But they're not doing that. Right. I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced of that, I'm afraid. Um, you know, I don't see any of these parties getting anywhere near the numbers that they're going to need to to uh, ask the ANC, you know, and to take over government. Um, you know, I just don't see it. The DA is never going to get to thirty percent, level and fifty percent. Um, so, so they need it. So they need a coalition. And the same way that back in the eighties, we had the UDF and the, and the the mass democratic movement and so on. You know, groups of parties that formed a a, a, a sort of solid line of, of opposition. 
I will, I think that I think that you you you're not considering the fact that, and I think a lot of people think that people are unable to not vote for the ANC. Yeah. But I think when we look at the numbers of people who show up to mm-hmm. vote, it shows you very clearly that people will rather stay home and not vote at all because they don't see the opposition as the right. person to give their vote. And I don't think that the way that we're looking at it is we're, we're not looking at it mathematically because what we should be looking at is we should be looking at the fact that we have, I think, 22 million people on our voters roll. And only 13 million people showed up to vote in the local elections. You know what I'm saying? So the opposition parties should not be considering how do we get to 30% of the pool that's there. They should be thinking, how do we get people to vote for us instead of staying home? Yeah. But, but I, I just, for that purpose, I, I think I think they need to come up with something new, some new formula, because... The DA knows this, and the DA has been going after these people that don't vote for a long time, uh, but they're just not. And, and frankly, they've been they've been bumbling along for a long time, not appealing to yeah. a large part of the country. They frankly should be appealing to. Guys, I, I, um, I I'm not I'm not at all. I'm not bored with this, but I, I, th- I think that there are other issues that I'd like to hear your thoughts on, Ivo, and yours, Pumi. And one of them is we, we keep talking about xenophobic violence in South Africa. Uh, we've just had Gayton McKenzie also absolved of any wrongdoing. We have, you know, he's very much one of the, the loudest, most vocal opponents of illegal immigration. It's got him a lot of support in, in Gauteng. Uh, Gayton McKenzie, obviously a guy who says he's a reformed criminal. He won't take any money from anybody. We actually tried to get him on the show this morning. Uh, he's not available to talk to us. Maybe he's, I don't know, maybe he's afraid. He, he wasn't afraid to come on my TV show. We will try again to get him. But I want to hear your thoughts on Gayton McKenzie and on this xenophobic lynching of Elvis Nyati in Deep Sluit the other day. Uh, Ivo, you can start and then Pumi, you can bring up the rear on this one. Yeah, I think it's um, you know it's 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 obviously shocking what happened to Albert Nyati. I mean, it's you know it's not only the the, the lynching as such; it's it's the way in which he was lynched. I mean, burning people alive. Um, this seems to be the sort of go-to method of of vigilante justice in in the townships these days. I mean, it happens often. Um, you know, and this guy was innocent. You know, he was just yeah. he wasn't he wasn't able to produce a passport, but he hadn't done anything. You know, he wasn't he wasn't a thief. He wasn't a criminal or anything. So it, it was really horrible. And then, and then people like Cameron Mashaba and Gaten McKenzie say, oh, no, but they don't support this kind of violence. You know, no. This is, no, 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 no. We're, we're the good people. We're the good guys. They just oppose illegal immigration. That argument is absolute bullshit. Um, you know, they know, and they were told right, by me and by many, many other people in the media, they were told what their rhetoric was going to lead to. If you whip up anti, anti-immigrant sentiment, right, you are going to get bloodshed. Right. right. They, they knew this. So to turn around for them now to say, oh, but we had nothing to do with this, and, and this is not us, and, and you know, we are working to, to eliminate criminality from Operation Dudula, and, and you know, Herman Mashaba saying that, that, that he's, he's entirely innocent, and, and, and yep. that, that's absolute rubbish. They knew, what, they knew what they were getting into. They knew what whipping up a mob would do. Right. Don't whip up a mob and then and then deny responsibility for what they do. Well, Pumi, what do you think? Because you've been banging on this drum for a while now, too. 
I do think that, you know, unfortunately, the people on the ground only see the result of something that is a bigger problem. The problem really is that the corruption starts at the top. And it, it, it's not a, yesterday we saw the bust at, um, at OR Tambo. I don't know if you saw any of that news. No. So yesterday afternoon, Aaron Lady and some uh, police actually took into custody a one person who works at the port, um, who works in the kind of letting people in. And I think that they are looking at, at arresting another three or four people who were bringing in through Owartam. Because, you know, if you're, if you're coming from Zimbabwe, you can cross the border, you can jump the border, you can cross the Limpopo River to get sure. <laughs> But if you're coming from Bangladesh or from Pakistan or all of those places, you're not crossing the border, you're coming in through an airport somewhere. Right. And this is an official who, that's what he does. He has been selling, working with people in Bangladesh to bring illegal immigrants and then sign them in, you know, get them signed in. And that, to me, says the problem, guys, goes right to the top. You know, so all those many years ago, when um, Melusiki Gaba allowed the Guptas to get new passports and all naturalized citizens without uh -huh. following any of the processes when and unfortunately he is one of the people that were at the beginning of breaking the system when Gaba, because of a fight with his ex-wife and the daughter and the sister-in-law suddenly changes all the rules of how parents should be traveling with their kids and the kind of documentation that you need to travel with your kids that is what the, pro the problem is. The problem is that there is corruption at every level, at the border post, at, at home Absolutely. affairs. Absolutely. We see 13 people standing trial at the Rudiboard Magistrates Court because of what they did, issuing fake passports, issuing real passports mm -hmm. for fake people, essentially. You know, so I think what we should be doing is we should be enforcing the law right through the system, and then you won't have a problem of people on the ground becoming rabid dogs and lynching people in the street. Now, you know what, I'm not sure that that will help because um, the people in the streets are, they're opposed to, to immigrants of all kinds, right? They're not, you know, it's, it's the leaders that say they're only against illegal immigration. Um, but if you actually look around the townships or so, people hate Zimbabweans, they hate Malawians, even the ones who are here illegally and, and have work permits and everything. Um, because they believe, wrongly, that they steal our jobs and that, you mm -hmm. know, if, if, an, if an immigrant has a spaza shop, then that is in one African that doesn't have a spaza shop. Right. Um, that, you know, that, that somehow the economy is a zero-sum game. You know, they don't see someone owning a spaza shop and employing a few people as someone who creates jobs, because that's what they do. Um, you know, immigrants are a net benefit to, to an economy. Um, and they've researched this in many places. You know, immigrants, immigrants improve an economy and they create jobs. So, but to me, to me, the bigger thing is that this is what leaders do to distract from the corruption at the top, right? They say they blame the country's problems on immigrants. Right? You can always blame the country's problems on someone else, right? On the Jews. Or on the, you know, on 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 Malawians or Zimbabweans, uh, blame it on someone else. 
to distract from the fact that your leaders in government, the people who you vote into power, um, are the ones that are stealing you blind. No, absolutely. What you see is a competition for resources. Yeah. You're seeing a competition for resources on the ground. And that's that's why it translates to, and we've spoken about this on the show before, that people who are oppressed, people who are desperate, will always look for somebody with less power than them to oppress. Because that's just, that's how the food chain rolls, right? It's shit rolls downhill. So people right now where we have such high unemployment, people are hungry. We've spoken about this as well, that we have, we have out of our 60 million South Africans, at least 30 million of those living on less than 20 rand a day. They are right. fighting for resource. But, and this is who they have but to the, fight with. The irony is that they, they're not coming here to live these incredible, happy lives. It's just mm. that the places they're coming from are even worse. You know? Mm. It's not like it's it's a great life for, for, for an illegal immigrant in Deep Slurt. It's horrible. It is hard. It is difficult. They not only have to put up with all this, uh, this disgusting xenophobia, but they also have to try and <clears throat> maintain their, their own little businesses if they have them when the police are raiding them the whole time, stealing their stock, we've heard about how, you know, the, the, the police will come in and just take whatever's on the table. And these people have to start from scratch. Uh, they don't have any, any family to rely on often. They have, you know, they're renting a, an RDP house or a shack from someone who is local. So we've got lots of complicated dynamics in these areas, and, and it's not going to be solved anytime soon. I just want to refer to a comment here that Captain Cook says, this xenophobia is a slow boil, and by the time it boils over, it burns whoever is in its path. I think that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, that's a very good way of looking at it. That's exactly right. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, who was it? Someone on Twitter said, uh, Feral Hafiji, I think, said mm. that, you know, once you light a fire, uh, it's very hard to put it out. Yes. Uh, and that's exactly what people like Gaten McKenzie and, and Herman Mashaba and, and uh, Julius Malema, for that matter, with his inspections of businesses for, for foreign nationals, um, what they've been doing, it's, it's, uh, I think it's horrible and it's very, very dangerous. Um, you know, you, you're going to see a lot of bloodshed. Remember what happened in, in Rwanda. You know, yeah. it is not impossible for that sort of thing to happen again here. You know, for tens of thousands of people as a result of this. Once it, once it burns out of control, there's no stopping it. I think what is particularly of worry for me is because it seems like a populist movement, so many of these politicians are jumping on the bandwagon, right? So you, you hear the way Arun Mutsualedi responds to some of, of the issues, you know, is you, you hear him kind of not wanting to be overtly against anything that's happening on the ground, you know. So his his view is kind of sitting on the fence. I saw a video a couple of days ago of the you think Deputy they, Minister do you think of they, Police. Do you think they're hedging their bets, Pums? I think they're hedging their bets. I, heard, I saw a video of the Deputy um, Minister of Police basically just spewing xenophobic hate. And I was just like, you are the deputy minister of police. Mm. If you did your job, if you did your job, if you were policing at the borders, if you were if you were clamping down on what you believe to be illegals, if you were doing your job, people wouldn't have to feel right. like they need to do your job for you. Um, there, who else? there was another minister. But for, for me, 
it is when it comes from the top because it's populist right they just want to get re-elected and if they think this is where the people are flowing towards they must hedge their bets and kind of not alienate so, the people so again not because i'm at all uh, bored with this subject or because we've extinguished all the discussion around it but i think we've got to move on there's some other things too ivo you wanted to talk about um, the protests behind the Amazon HQ that they're developing in Cape Town. Now, why on earth would South Africans be protesting Amazon building a, a huge big warehouse and headquarters in Cape Town? Why would people have a problem with that? Surely we should be welcoming any and all opportunities for us to create work, employment, uh, new, new possibilities and potential a place of distribution, a place where Amazon can start to get their shit together because we know we can't rely on a post office when it comes to international stuff. I mean, I would love to be ordering more from Amazon, but I'm just worried I never get it if I have to order it through the post office. Yeah, no, that's exactly my, my thing. I don't order from overseas anymore either Yeah. Um, unless I can get it in by courier. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, ordering from China, for example, um, I did that a few years ago for, for my wedding, actually. Yes. A whole bunch of things, and half of it, half of it got lost. Post office couldn't find it. Correct. Um, no, so I had the same question. You know, why why stop a development that would create jobs that would improve what is now a pretty shitty little, of course, with a um, a restaurant and a bar. Um, you know, why would anyone in that area stop that? It would it would probably improve property prices in observatory. Um, mm -hmm. You know, employ local people. It would, it would, it would, yeah, it would improve the whole area. Um, behind, behind this. Now, you know, I, you know, I, I, it can't be, it can't be the actual indigenous people. You know, it's, they've never laid claim to this nine-hole golf course. They've never had an issue with that. The, the, the claim that they used to graze their cattle there is absolute nonsense. That you know, that never happened. Um, so, so, where does this come from? And I always used to look at the at the environmental organisation. Because um, you know they're 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 opposed to sort of any and all development, and, and you often can find environmental organisations behind them. But then I looked a bit into who was behind the, the court case against this development, and and um, it turns out that it's a, a, a couple of a group called the Observatory Civic Association, um, and the Horing Haikona Kuna Council, or Kuena Council, and that is those are led by Professor. Leslie London, mm. and a fellow named Tony Jenkins. Now, Professor Leslie London is on the editorial board of a Mandla magazine, um, where he shares uh, he shares that uh, you know people like uh, William Adisha, Noam Chomsky, Jeremy Cronin, Sashwa um, Saka. Um, yeah, he's basically a very comfortable socialist hanging out with who, who, is, the, who is this guy? Um, Just give me his name. His, na his name again. He's <laughs> Leslie London, hmm. he's, a, he's, a, he's a, a professor at UCT. Okay. Uh, he, uh, he hangs out with all the left teams and right, right. He's on the editorial board of, of Amanda magazine, which is right. published by right. the, um, the, AI, the right. AIDC, the Alternative Information, uh, what, what are they called, the Alternative Information? Anyway, that's basically the left's version of alternative facts. Hmm. Um, and then, and then Tyler Jenkins, who uh, went to Columbia University, um, although what he probably won't tell you is that he went there to study acting. <laughs> he is a professional left-wing activist who's been doing activism all life, all life, right? That's that's his job. He does. He does. 
He's now a spokesman for the Indigenous Peoples um, uh, Horingakona Kwena Council, which is the other applicant in the, in the court case. Right. So now we start seeing, getting a picture of who's actually behind this stuff. It's, 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 it's far, left. far left. Now, the far left sees companies like Amazon as bastions of capitalism. Right? They, right. They, when they come here, they come here to exploit the African right. people and to destroy our resources. And we, mm-hmm. need to, we need to destroy these big companies. And there are whole campaigns out there right, that say destroy multinational companies uh, or transnational companies. Um, and, and this is what they're part of. So, really, it's a it's a massive left pain pain which which happens right. internationally. Ivo, once against, again, once more, once more, I'm going to just uh, let you cut off and come back in. It seems that as we keep you on, your connection deteriorates. So I'm just going to get rid of you I for a second. I do love the fact, though. Yeah, I do problems? love the fact, though, that that his echo kind of seems to be on, you know, on, on where he wants emphasis. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like on the left. <laughs> well, well, here is here is this guy. You know, there are all these people behind the scenes. Most of them in academia. Let's face it who are involved in stuff that actually is none of their business. Here's Professor Leslie London at UCT. This is the man who is behind all of these calls to keep Amazon out of Cape Town. Now, I don't know why, but it's very hard to find information about these people. You really have to dig deep like you Ivo know, does. And, and I wonder you know, why they've got their the fingers things, in these pies. I mean, what has it got to do with them? You know, one of the things that we, we don't talk enough about is how much NGOs yep. can skew a conversation in a country. And, and most of their money comes from international <laughs> sources. Right. And those international sources all have yes. got their own Agenda. uh, agendas that they are pushing. But what it does show is it shows that there is seriously a lack of what's called stakeholder management, mm-hmm. right, on the part of the government and the part of and on the part of the the individual companies as they want to come here and and do the work that they do and i think the people who do it very well um mining houses i mean mining houses when they establish and start prospecting mm. and i say this because i i worked with the mining house i i was intrigued to see how much work before they even start prospecting they do just in terms of the consultative work with the community the consultative work with the city council the consultative work that they do to it by the time they do that work they have already got their license from the government so Mm. the government has said okay you can go and mine in that area But but they have to do so much work on the ground before they get going and and that's why they are able to in some communities are able to move entire communities you know, because that's where they want to trust you meant you mentioned ngos Pumi, and we'll, we we've got ivo back but but these ngos you know in china they don't allow any foreign ngos into the country at all you're not allowed to operate as a foreign ngo in the country because they don't believe you have the best interests of china at heart now i'm never going to quote china as being the paragon of any kind of virtue. <laughs> I was about to say, are you but, quoting China? But there, but there may be quite a lot of sense in them being able to stem the tide of these foreign interests in their own areas, in their own locality, in their own municipalities, in their own nation. And we're in South Africa, just we're kind of, a lot of these NGOs are, have horrible agendas. They, they run from outside of the country. They pour millions and millions of rands in here because it's cheap if you've got dollars or pounds. And we're not sure whether these people are actually doing things which are helpful or beneficial to South Africa. If they're stopping something like the, the building of an Amazon HQ, 
then I'm, I'm quite concerned. Uh, we pick it up, Ivo, where we left it with you. Your, your connection broke down again. But, you know, people like these uh, academics that you were talking about, these are very bad influences on society. They're not good. Yeah, no, and this is this is the AIDC that that Leslie London is associated with, the the um, Alternative Information Development Centre, <laughs> um, which is funded by a bunch of international left wing groups, including Oxfam, uh, the Open Society Foundation, which is George Soros' uh, organisation. Um, so you're right. I mean, China is quite right. China's these NGOs don't have South Africa's best interests at heart. No, they usually don't. No. You know, now, I'm not saying ban them because, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a libertarian. I don't believe in, in banning people and silencing people. Um, but we should, when we listen to these people, um, we should take that into account. We, we should, should take into account what their really is and what our interests are. Yeah, we um, should know where the money is yeah. coming from as well. And, and this is the problem. There's so many people in South Africa who are being paid for by foreign agents. And I don't mean that in the way that, uh, you know, that the, 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 the ANC used to talk about foreign agents whenever they ran out of other people to blame. <laughs> But we need to know that these people are being funded and being handed their agenda by nefarious forces very often outside of the country. And we should at least be aware of that. Except or, or inside. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we need to do in order to, to get that right is we have to stop being a bigger nation. Yes. You know, so what unfortunately <laughs> our government has done is they have turned us all into beggars. You know, so you're constantly needing external help mm -hmm. to do even the smallest things that the government should be doing. And if we were not a bigger nation, we would not find ourselves in the position where we have to do what it is that our funders want us to do. Yeah. All right. So but, you, you said you said something earlier that I just want to respond to um, about the consultation um, mm. that, that needs to happen. Are you Right. Uh, consultation needs to happen. But the thing is, these organizations do do extensive consultation. Um, you know, one of these organizations that protested against the development was created long after the development was announced. You know, one of these, these indigenous, uh, the First Nations uh, pressure groups. Um, so, you know, they conducted extensive environmental, heritage, socioeconomic assessments. Uh, the developers themselves consulted extensively with local First Nations and got them on board. So now what this group, this observatory um, civic association group is doing is they're creating new indigenous people's groups, recruiting you know, random people who are basically just cardboard cutouts um, to, to, start, to start opposition. And then the court says, well, oh, you didn't, you didn't uh, consult with these specific people. Yeah. So therefore, we now, need to, we now need to stop the whole thing so you can have a discussion with these people. Um, yeah, you can drag this on forever, and that's frankly that is their strategy. Their strategy is to delay, delay, make it more and more and more expensive until companies like Amazon or Shell or whoever it is um, right. decides, oh, you know what, we got better things to do than, than top this stuff. Sure. Guys, um, I want to leave that there and then just move us swiftly along to our worst province, our worst run province competition. Uh, I say it's a competition. There are no prizes here because whoever wins this is going to be crying, not laughing and not thr thrilled and celebrating. So I've got a lot of votes in here for the free state as the worst run province in South Africa. Uh, who do you think the, the winner of this, this prize should be, Pumi? And, and give us some reasons why. Undoubtedly, the Eastern Cape. Hmm. The Eastern Cape for me is, and we don't talk enough about it, 
Yeah. There is so much shit and corruption. We only every once in a while will hear about their bicycle ambulances or we'll hear about a bridge that wasn't constructed. And, but the Eastern Cape is incredible in the level of ineptitude and the corruption that it has. And I think a lot of people on the show, because we've heard so much from Lieto, will think that it is uh, the free state. Because actually, I think that the free state comes in third for me. Second after the Eastern Cape would be Limpopo. Huh. All right, so we've got three in the running here from Pumi. And who do you vote for, Ivo? Um, you know, I was also going to say the Eastern Cape, but with an honorable mention to the Free State, because um, the, the Free State really is, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say, the shithole. Yeah. Um, it has the worst performing municipalities in the country mm -hmm. um, on average. Uh, if you look at its its, uh, its basic statistics, like its unemployment rate and so on, they've gone progressively worse over the last decade, consistently gotten worse. Um, you know, everything in in the free state is 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 not only not only bad, but pointing in the wrong direction. You know, all the trends are going in the wrong direction. So, so the free state really is terrible. Um, I would still give it to the Eastern Cape. I, I agree with Pumi. Um, on, on the basis that, that um, <laughs> the, the economic indicators and so on are still slightly worse, the corruption is probably somewhat worse, um, and it and it involves more people. It, it's, <laughs> the Eastern Cape is more important to the country than the Free State is, right? Uh, in many ways. So, so I would I would still put the Eastern Cape up top, but definitely with the Free State a close second. We got lots of people saying Eastern Cape, so they're agreeing with you too. There are lots of people also mentioning the Free State. Uh, some people say Free State hands down. So I'm not sure which one we should uh, we should crown the winner. But since you both have said uh, Eastern Cape and Free State, we'll let them share the title for this morning as the shittiest province in terms of being run into the ground by the the people who are meant to govern those provinces. Free State and Eastern Cape, congratulations, you are the winners today. But it's not something that you wanted to win. And I feel sorry for the people who live in those places. You know, we often have uh, Lito and Doba on on the show. He's from Velkom. We uh, we need a correspondent like him in the in the Eastern Cape so we can find out what's actually happening on the ground there too because I'm absolutely sure that there are just as many shitty things happening in the Eastern Cape as there are in the Free State and Pums just for you we'll throw in an honourable mention for Limpopo so you know what we're going to end it on that note and uh, Ivo thank you very much for talking to us even though this morning you had all the load shedding problems we appreciate you making an effort with your paraffin lamp to talk to us this morning Pumi thank you. Oh, thank you very much. All right. We're talking over each other. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wrap it up. Ivo, thank you. It's always great to have you on. Ivo Factor, of course, freelance journalist and someone we've re referred to very often on the show. We're lucky enough enough to have him as a as a uh, a part of the team every now and then on the Burning Platform. It's been too long, but we'll get him back soon and hopefully on a better connection. Someone said down here, you guys have got to get back into the studio soon. Well, I got to tell you, I don't know whether that would help. I mean, this morning. Uh, you know, Ivo was the only one who was, who was really out of town. Pumi went through to her office. We've got a nice clear signal there. We've got everything going fine from, from here. Um, so I hear you, but that wouldn't necessarily solve it. So thank you very much to everybody who paid uh, attention this morning and was part of the burning platform. We will see and you. And all the comments. Yes, lots of the comment section is on fire.
So thank you for all the comments. <laughs> People right. mustn't forget to like and subscribe. Please. Thank you, Pumi. You know, thank you, thank like, you, thank you. We see you. your comments, but yes. please like and subscribe. If you don't, it doesn't help us. Yeah, the more people who subscribe, the better it is for all of us. Right. And then, then eventually they can't ignore us and we have to get all the guests on this show. They have to come. And we'll, we'll, we won't have rubbish excuses from people like Gate and McKenzie when we ask them to come on the show. All right. So we'll Yay, see you. I was on, ready for that. We'll see you on Tuesday uh, because obviously tomorrow's a holiday. Monday's a holiday. Have a good Easter weekend, everybody. And we will catch up next week. Cheers. Cliffcentral.com.